Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. All right, I want to invite Eric up. Eric's a friend of mine. Eric's a friend of a number of you guys. Um, I had a really cool conversation with Eric this week and thought this is the perfect kind of thing uh, for us to be able to talk about on a Sunday morning and asked Eric and he was, you know, uh, I'm guessing Eric doesn't love being up in front of people. Is that true? Well, not when I'm by myself, sort of. Singing with other people, I can handle it. Yeah, so Eric has jumped on the worship teams, and he's, uh, he's a good singer. You can, if you hear his voice, you get to enjoy that. But I'm going to stand up with him and just have a little bit of a conversation uh, to hear his story. I want you to hear some of the stuff that God is doing in his life. So would you share? Yes. Um, in our group, we've been learning about the up-in-and-out triangle and this two, well, it would be almost a month ago, Wednesdays, um, we, Shannon asked me which area was I, did I think God wanted me to work on the most? So let me pause here. If you're not familiar with the up, in, and out triangle, it's three different relationships that Jesus modeled, right? He had a relationship with the Father that he's always going back and spending time with the Father and finding his identity in him. Then he had in relationships with people closest to him, right? And he was saying, come and follow me. And he was uh, pulling them along and he's training and equipping them. And that was his community here on earth. And then he had out relationships where he's reaching out to the world on a mission to love and save the world, right? And so as we're trying to model Jesus, we're trying to model after those kinds of relationships. We want to have up relationships with the Father, with God. We want to have in relationships with each other. And we want to have out relationships reaching out to love the world around us. Okay? So I asked the question, what do you think God's prompting in you, Eric? And the answer was out. And then we took a I took a time of reflection and silently talking to God where he really wanted me to go into out area. And I've done this in the past in Richland Center working with homeless. So it kind of got me thinking that God wanted me to work somewhere with the homeless again here. And so I brought that up, and then we went into the learning circle through the process, and it ended with me telling the group that I was going to be looking for Christian organizations in Madison that work with the homeless. Now, let me fill in a little bit here, okay? Because it's so cool what's going on. So he, he mentions the learning circle. It's just a tool that we can use as we grow in our ability and our understanding of, like, what's it, what's it mean to really hear from God and then be able to respond to him? And Jesus, again, models this when he says, like, there are moments that are from God that can change the course of your life, right? And if you run into one of those moments, it's our job to try and listen. We think God is breaking in. God's trying to talk to us. 
And if we can hear God's voice in our life, our job is to respond to it, right? So we're using the up, in, and out relationships to say, what do you think God might be saying to you today? And Eric is growing in this, I, I think God's trying to have me reach out to people. And I asked him a question. I said, why do you think that is? How long has it been since you've really felt like you've been in a position to reach out? Do you remember what your answer was? A very long time. Yeah, like 30 years, right? Which was amazing in the moment because after 30 years of stillness, God's prompting something. Hey, I want you to reach out, right? And you can tell, or I could tell, Eric's getting a little bit nervous at this point, like, oh, shoot. Like, I don't, I'm not excited about this. And so instead of just saying, okay, I want to do, 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 like we backed up into like, what do you think God's saying to you? Do you remember what you said to me? Like, it was so cool. He said, well, I know what the Bible would say. I was like, great, let's start there, okay? Because God's voice very often is hand in hand with the Bible. When we're trying to hear from him, if we can find scripture that would back that up, that adds all kinds of authority to it, right? If we're trying to hear from God and we hear some weirdo thing that would completely contradict the Bible, like, that's not God. That's something funky going on in our listening, right? So Eric says, well, I know what God would say, or what, what the Bible would say, and he says, you don't have to be afraid. I'm with you always. You're like, okay, this is super awesome. Because this isn't just like somebody being pushed out. This is somebody who's feeling God come alongside and said, it's been 30 years, and part of what's held you back is fear. You don't need to be afraid. I'm always with you, and you can reach out. So if you take hearing from God that way, and they say, okay, if, Eric, if you're hearing, I'm always with you. You don't have to be afraid. You can reach out. Now it's your job to respond to that. How will you respond to that? And so Eric came up with that. You said it. Can you, can you repeat it? Well, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I said I would be looking online to find out if there were organizations that I'd want to be a part of. And then part of the process was accountability. So I told Shannon and Tim that when we met up again, I would have a list of possible places that I'd probably want to join. So and that was that was it. He that was all he promised, right? This week I'm gonna look if there's any Christian organizations in the Madison area that serve the homeless, because the homeless are close to my heart. Right? So I, that's all I thought he was gonna do. I found a place and he came back two weeks later and he said, I found nine or eight Seven. And I applied for all of them. <laughs> what? Seven. 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 And I applied for all of them, and I started volunteering at one already. And I'm going on these days, and this is what I'm doing. It was like, okay, that's awesome. That's just awesome. What I love about that church is it doesn't feel like you better get in and do the right religious thing. Right? It feels like hanging out, saying, what is God prompting in me? What am I hearing from God? And often it starts with something about me. Right? 
who am I? And what does God have to say to me? And if he's saying, don't fear, I'm with you. And I can respond by going out and getting involved in something that I think God is already involved in. One, so one of the, one of the uh, homeless organizations or, or organizations that serve people who are struggling with homelessness, right, is like down the block, right there. And I was like, whoa, I never even knew that. And just cool stuff to say, I, I love how God works in community. I love how God, when he speaks and we respond, things grow. And you could see Eric, uh, bits of transformation already happening and confidence and excitement and like, hey, I could do this. After 30 years of drought, God is doing something and spurring him on. And I, it's just so exciting to me. So, Eric, thank you. Um, well done, and thanks for sharing. That, that was a huge highlight for me, uh, being able to watch him walk through that and then come back and uh, not just do what he said I would do, but I think go even beyond that. Super, super cool. All right, I don't know how to do a, a hard transition, so I'm just going to say we're going to take a hard left, okay? Uh, we're in this summer series in the Psalms, and what we're recognizing in the Psalms is that they're really emotional. The Psalms come and they meet God in, in our places of emotion. Some of them are times of high praise and thanksgiving and uh, honoring and exalting God. Some of them are crying out to God from the depths. Some of them, I would say, there's an argument that you could put forth to say they're approaching God with anger toward God, right? Why have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? And you can almost hear some bite in the question. People in agony, people who are hurting, reaching out to God when it doesn't make sense. The Psalms do that. And this morning, we're going to dip into a couple of Psalms that I think go together. And they're an example of one of what's called the Psalms of lament or Psalms of sadness, Psalms of grieving. And even in the grieving, they're crying out to God. There's a way to grieve where you run from God, and there's a way to grieve where you go to God even when it's messy, right? Uh, and things aren't put together, and you might even be angry with him, but you're, you're uh, calling out from there. So we're going to take a hard left into lament this morning. And I'm going to start with a story that I think um, illustrates where we're going this morning. So in the late 1800s, there's a successful businessman and lawyer living in Chicago, and his name is Horatio Spafford. His wife's name is Anna, and they had five children, a boy and four girls. And in 1871, their son died of an illness. Any history buffs know what also happened in Chicago in 1871? Yeah, the Great Fire. Chicago burned down. And with it, all of the Spafford's investments and savings went up in smoke. So in the same year, they lost their son and they lost uh, their treasure, right, in one sense. A couple of years later, still grieving the loss of their son and now their savings, the family decided to take a vacation to Europe. At the last minute, Horatio had to stay back for business, but he urged his family to go in front of him and say, I'll catch up with you. I'll be there as soon as I can. 
Start without me. Four days into the voyage, Anna and the four girls, the ship that they were on, collided with another ship, and their ship sank, and 226 of the 313 passengers died, among them all four daughters. Anna survived, and when she's able, she wires her husband, who had only heard limited news at that point. And the wire was six words, and it said, survived alone, what shall I do? Horatio got on the next available ship. Four days into the journey, the captain pulled him aside, and he said, sir, right here is where your daughters were lost. And it said, One of his daughters has said, who was born after this tragedy to them, that on this journey, maybe even in that moment, the words in a poem started coming to mind for him. And he went to his cabin, and he started journaling, and he started writing down. And he came up with what has become one of the more famous uh, hymns that we've sung. And the, the hymn is, It Is Well With My Soul. And he writes, in the face of tragedy, when peace like a river attendeth my way. So to say, when things are good, when things are peaceful. The next line is, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. And I find that so incredibly powerful, that in the midst of agony, somebody could like not just dismiss the pain, not just say, pretend it's there, but could also go to God and say, I'm going to be okay because I'm with you. I'm going to get through this. I can't imagine coming back from that news and having those words put to song and then hearing that song sung in the congregation and being reminded of the loss and the grief, and yet also holding on tight to God. So Spafford's song is almost like a psalm of lament. At least the context is, right? Tragedy, facing tragedy, and clinging to God, even when it's ugly. When the waves roll in your life, or in mine, how do we carry on? How do we move through that? So Psalm 42 and 43 is where we're going to dig in today. I want to read them together because lots of people think that this was intended originally to be just one psalm. Psalm 42 has a heading um, from the sons of Korah. They were a group of singers who led worship in the temple. Psalm 43 doesn't have um, a header. It's pretty unusual in this section to not. Uh, There's also a refrain that happens in 42 a couple times and almost the identical refrain in 43. And so they really move thematically together, and we're going to treat them together this morning. Psalm 42 and 43 reads, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have become my food day and night. 
while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him again, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is within me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Send out your light and your truth. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceit and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So it's really clear to see there's like a water theme, right? The number of times... Let people know if you had a storm coming in a couple minutes, if you don't get these open car windows. If you have open car windows, Bob, we'd like you to know that there's a storm coming and you can put them up. It's a water theme. Storm warning. So he starts out, he starts out in Psalm 42 right away, and he says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, right? So my soul pants or longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And he uh, paints this really amazing simile, saying, uh, in the same way that a deer will go to water and drink and just like you can see it lap it up, it's thirsty coming out of a desert and it finds a water and it's just It's just, oh, its body is crying out for it. That's what my body, that's what my soul is doing to God right now. I'm lacking and I'm thirsty and I need God to fill me. I need the flowing streams. The flowing streams, here's a cool thing that I found in study this week. Flowing streams sometimes were called living water, right? As opposed to like scummy pond water. Uh, that just starts to collect and build up algae and uh, scum and all kinds of stuff. The streams are the living water that would keep fresh and keep flowing. And like my soul longs for living water. And so he, he mentions the living God. 
So it's not just the living water that he's after, but he's after the living God who produces and who offers the living water. And that's what his soul is thirsty for. He wants to be with God. He's so incredibly thirsty for that. And instead, in verse 3, you have this hunger and you have this thirst for God that produces living water in your life. And instead, he says in verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. Tears instead of streams for that thirst-quenching experience. Have you experienced tears in your life when you long for streams? Right? When you long to be relieved, when you long to be filled, when you long to be quenched, and instead what you get is more coming out of you, and you feel squeezed, and it, the tears are coming down, and you taste the salt, and that's not, not at all what you're going for. People have called this kind of experience the dark night of the soul, where you just feel dry, or you feel like you're in agony and you're struggling, like God is distant, like where God should be close, he feels far off. And it's not about guilt or shame or you feeling like you're guilty for doing something wrong. Often the dark night of the soul comes and you can't even understand it. You don't know why it's happening, but it's like the air gets sucked out of the room spiritually and you just start feeling empty. You're in the company of the psalmist if you have experienced that. And to add insult to injury, the psalmist isn't just thirsting for God. He's being taunted. People are coming alongside who don't know God, who don't love God, who haven't experienced the joy of walking with him. And they're like, hey, where's your God? You talk about him. You sing songs to him. You like want to lead people in worship. Where is he now? You're all in torment. What's going on? Where's your God these days? And the taunts send him back in verse 4 to those memories, right? Like, I remember when I used to lead the people into the temple to worship. I remember when we would sing out to God, when God was right in our midst and we had this community that was alive and we had God alive in our midst and we could sing and we could praise and it was so good. And as he remembers, his soul crashes back on the next wave into lament again. Oh, my soul, why are you cast down? I, sometimes remembering helps build joy. Sometimes remembering highlights the pain now, right? Because we, we had joy around what was, and we lament what is not now. Oh, my soul, why are you cast down? And he says, hope. Like he's having this internal dialogue with himself. Hope, soul, hope. Don't lose the hope. Hold on to hope. God will save me. And then verse 6, he goes right back into being downcast. Remembering God and feeling the loss. And here's where the water theme comes back again. Deep water and waterfalls and waves crashing on his head. And I, and I can expect that many of you feel that. You have had times where you feel like you're in deep water. You've 
felt times where you feel like it won't stop coming down on you. Like a waterfall, only it's not romantic, right? It's not the fairy, st- fairy tale stuff where we walk behind and it's like, oh, it's so beautiful. It's like, no, you're in it, right? One of the more deadly spots in the world is to be in the water at the base of a waterfall, right? And you're just churning and being kicked around and you can't breathe. And then he talks about like the waves that just keep crashing. And I can imagine that you've been there. And then God sends a lifeline. In verse 8, he says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So during the day, God commands his steadfast love. This is probably my favorite word in the whole Bible. The steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed, which is translated all kinds of things. Steadfast love here has been translated loving kindness. It's like a love beyond the call of duty, a commitment, a covenant, a promise that was made that I will never leave you. I will always be with you. I will always act toward your best. And he says, by day, I'm reminded that God loves me crazy. By day, I'm reminded that God will never leave me. He will command his hesed toward me. And at night, he's putting a song in me. In the middle of all the torment, in the middle of the back and forth, waves crashing, at night, I have a song of God that comes up out of my soul. And it's as if God has planted that in him to remind him he's not alone. I say to God, my rock, which is amazing, right? In the middle of the crashing waves, God gives him a rock, and he identify God, identifies God as his rock. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And now there's the contrast again, right? I'm clinging to God. I have a lifeline from God, and yet I, I need to ask this question, God. It feels like you've forgotten all about me. I know you love me. I know you won't leave me, but it feels like I'm forgotten by you. Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? There's this thing happening to me, God, and you're not stopping it. Why? It doesn't make sense. And I'm reaching out to you, asking you what's going on. Even though the psalmist knows God's love, he feels forgotten. You ever felt something like that? Like you know the right answers, but what you feel is nothing like that. You know God loves you. You know he has your best in mind, and yet that doesn't make sense, and don't get into an argument with me right now, right? That does not line up. The whole psalm feels like it's a wave action going back and forth from crying out to God and feeling pain to calling out uh, to himself to hope in God, to calling back and saying, God, why have you forgotten to coming back to hope and uh, singing and knowing God loves and going back and forth. And his life right now is just a storm. He starts out in verse 1 and 2 longing, and then he goes to the hurting and agony in verse 3 and the taunting. And in verse 4, he goes to remembering God. Verse 5, it's talking about future hope. Verse 6 is back to being downcast, remembering what was and grieving that. Verse 7 is being knocked about by the waves. Verse 8, the hesed of God, he's reminded of it, of God's love toward him. The hope 
and God's song at night in verse 8, and verse 9, feeling forgotten, verse 10, taunted by others again, verse 11, mourning, and yet there's hope. Psalm 43, verse 1, he has this plea for vindication. God, will you make this right? Will you save me? Will you vindicate me? Will you rescue me? And then verse 2, immediately, God, why have you rejected me? Now, this is goes beyond even forgotten, right? It'd be one thing if I felt like you just passed me by. I don't feel like you passed me by. I feel like you kicked me out. Why'd you reject me? And then verse 3, he goes back to a plea for guidance. Let your light and fire guide me, right? Like God has guided his people in the past. I want to be led by you once again. Verse 4, there's future hope of joy. I don't have it right now, but I'm looking ahead, and I I know it's coming back. Verse 5, he's back to downcast. And yet hope. Do you know the waves of faith and doubt? How, How they can go hand in hand together that you can have a uh, life-saving faith in God and at the same time be wrestling with all kinds of doubt? Do you experience that with joy and sorrow? That you can uh, paradoxically at the same time contain both joy and sorrow. Hold on to hope and yet feel hopeless, right? It doesn't make sense, but we do it. Let's not chastise the psalmist for having bad theology. God hasn't forgotten him. God hasn't rejected him, right? It would be, it'd be bad for us to go to the psalmist and say, I think he's a pretty bad theologian. I think he just doesn't know what he's talking about. And it's also pretty stupid to go up to somebody in the midst of agony and say, you're thinking about this all wrong. Like, God hasn't forgotten you. He's right here. If you can do that in a form of encouragement, that may play. If you do that as a form of chastisement, that's it's really ill-timed at best, right? When grief hits, we're a mess, and we don't have to pretend that we've got it all figured out, and it's just going to be okay. If that's you if you feel like you know the tension of faith and doubt, if you know and have lived in the tension of joy and sorrow, I want to share with you something that I found deeply profound. Actually, I, I was made aware of this woman by Shana who posted a TED Talk. The lady's name is Nora uh, McErnie. And she says in her TED Talk, it's all about the difference between moving on and moving forward. And she says, basically, when people are in the midst of grief and they're holding on to the grief, uh, sometimes a well-meaning person will come up and say, you know, it's just, it's time to move on. And she says, I've always hated that phrase. That does not feel helpful at all to me. And she talks about being married and losing her husband. And she says, I am who I am because of him. How can I move on from who I am? I feel like he's always with me in who I am, in the decisions I make. And I will move forward, but I won't move on. I will hold on 
to who he was. And I will carry him with me. And as we go through loss, we get to hold on to grief. We get to hold on to sorrow. And we get to hold on to joy that was and is not. Right? And we hold on to it. We, you don't have to move on. But you can move forward. You can hold on to all of that and move forward at the same time. Something or someone that we held on to with such joy when they're gone, we're not just supposed to leave them behind. It's not what the psalmist does either. I mean, the psalmist shows us this move forward, don't move on, right? He goes back to the times of worshiping at the temple. He says, oh, how I loved that. I loved the time that we had with God together. And so the TED Talk goes on. She says, we move forward. We don't move on. When grief finds us, it comes in waves. And that's okay. Grief doesn't always obey logic. We carry on and we carry the loss uh, with us. It doesn't mean we can't go forward, but it doesn't mean we can't have joy too, right? We can walk with joy, with sorrow at the same time. When we lose something or someone, they remain present even in the loss. And yet hope can rise there. Over and over and over in the Bible, God says, I will not leave you. It may not always feel like that. But he's telling us and he's repeating it for a reason. I will not leave you. Even if it, when it feels like I've left you, I'm still there. Now that might make you mad at me. Because how could I be here and not fix it? That's okay. We can deal with that. In Joshua 1, God shows up and he says, as you go into the promised land, I will be with you. Keep focused on how I'm leading you. Keep focused on what I've already told you, and I will be with you. Matthew 28, as Jesus is leaving, he says, I'll be with you always, right? And it seems like a contradiction. I'm, I'm about to leave. I'll always be here, right? And he sends his spirit to indwell us, to say, I'm right here with you. God is with you even when it feels like he's forgotten. And so right now, right now, I'm just going to ask you to put your head down. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to take a poll or a secret, uh, raise your hand or anything like that. I just want you to know wherever you're at, God is with you. God is with you. Even if it feels like he's forgotten you, even if it feels like he's rejected you, God is with you right now. Even if whatever you're walking through is overwhelming, he's with you and he loves you. Psalm 42 and 43 offer an invitation to go to God in the waves. All right, you can pick your head up. Now, here's one of the cool things about this psalm that it highlights. It speaks of the high value of community, of life together. You know, as he's going back and he's remembering the times that they had together, worshiping in the temple, that was rich partly because of the community that they had together, that they held on to together. 
He recognizes that there's strength in numbers, that we're not intended to just go through life alone. Now here's, I found this really encouraging, what one commentator wrote this week. He said, the individual, the individual can encourage, challenge, or admonish the community toward faithfulness, endurance, or repentance. Get that? You get to admonish and encourage us, all of us, to say, this is, I think, something that God may be stirring in us. You get to impact the community. And the community can provide a collective memory, and I love that phrase, a collective memory of the mighty acts of God that exceeds the memory or experience of one and provides continued context for enduring faith, hope, and love. What that means is when you're walking through the stuff, the community is there to say, that's not all there is. I don't want to diminish what you're walking through. I don't want to try and erase that or make you feel low, but there's more that's going on. All you can see right now is this, but hold on to all of it. Hold on to all of it, and we'll get through it together. The commentator wrote, one of the roles of the worshiping congregation is to worship when I cannot, to celebrate the resurrection of Christ when I am mourning the death of a loved one or struggling in my own sin. The congregation is to declare the wonderful works of God even when I can no longer see him or sense his presence. And I find that beautiful, that when you're going through the middle of it, the congregation doesn't stop worshiping. It neither diminishes your pain nor says everything stops. We continue to worship. One of the most beautiful moments I've ever experienced is uh, watching the congregation worship while some people in the back wept. Neither one was taken away from the other. I think it is an expression of community that says, whether high or low, we're going together. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and mourn with those who mourn. Right? And so when people are celebrating, we celebrate. And when people are mourning, we get down and we cry. And we can do that almost at the same time sometimes. So some of you are going through stuff right now, going into a second round of chemo and saying, this was a good report, but man, this is hard. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And yet there's also all kinds of stuff in us to celebrate in our community, in our congregation. Like Eric this morning and his testimony of saying, like, this is, I haven't heard from God in this way in a long, long time. And God's stirring up in me courage to reach out and love others. I love that. I was with a group of people uh, recently, and we're talking about just celebrating things that are going on here at Damascus Road. And some of the things that got brought up were like, people growing into their identity in Christ and finding freedom in that. People feeling like in our midst, shame is losing its grip, like it has held on to people and it's fading away. People are celebrating not just going to Scripture because it's the thing to do, but they're actually finding that Scripture is a really life-giving way to connect with God. And I think that's beautiful. 
people growing in the idea of I don't just work for the weekend and like run myself dry. God gives us rest as a way to, uh, to grow something in us into our work. We rest into work. And in that shift, my identity is understood better. That God calls me a son before I contribute. My identity is not because of what I've done. It's because of the invitation he's extended. That's yours too. One of the coolest things that I, I got to celebrate with this group as we were talking was people saying, I, I've been hurt by the church in the past, not speaking directly of DR, but I've been hurt by the church, and it's so cool to me to have a season where I'm growing and experiencing authentic leadership. Now, what was really cool to me is this person wasn't talking about me and wasn't talking about Justin, and she wasn't also saying, you guys are inauthentic. We got the real deal over here, right? She's talking about a leader in her group who is just bringing it like it is and modeling what it is to have a relationship with God that's okay in both uh, the faith and the doubt. Like, there's stuff in the Old Testament that makes me mad. I don't get it. And the leader says, yeah, I don't get it either. I can't clean that up for you, Right? And it's just encouraging sometimes to hear leaders be honest. That we have growing leadership at DR, that's not me, is something I'm going to celebrate a ton. Right? I get to be a part of it, and I don't just dictate everything. That's a super good environment to, uh, to celebrate. God is transforming us. He's growing us, and we will walk through pain together. So Psalm 42 and 43 go into the lament and the joy at the same time. The community is there to say, when you go through stuff, I won't make that little. I won't say, cheer up, Bucky. Come on now. God's with you. We can do all things through Christ, right? At least not in that tone. <laughs> but we don't have to stop celebrating at the same time. We get to, we get to recognize that God is doing things in us and transforming us. It's not either or, it's both and. Jesus, the one who is and offers through the Holy Spirit living water, right? As the psalmist cries out for living water and says, my soul longs for that, Jesus comes along and says, I have that to give. Have that to give. When you are thirsty, I will meet you and I will quench your thirst. And I won't clean everything up, but I will be there with you. Jesus, the one who offers the living water, is also the one who knows what it is to thirst. Like on the cross, Jesus cries out, I thirst. He knew sorrow and he knew grief. And he doesn't say it's one or the other, right? It's not either joy or sorrow. You can contain them both. At the cross, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We can walk in that together. So Psalm 42 and 43 is an invitation to be honest, to say it like it is, or maybe just to say it how it feels. Like a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned this phrase that my pastor uh, said when I was a kid. 
We obey God in the light, and we trust him in the dark. Whether you feel like you're walking in broad daylight and you need to obey God and follow his ways that are very clear, or life right now is just surrounding you with waves and darkness, and you need to just trust and hold on, the psalm gives permission for both. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the honesty in the Bible. We thank you for the honesty that you invite, that you're okay with, that you want from us. We thank you for the way that you draw that out of us, that we can approach you just as we are. We can ask you hard questions, that we can be angry, that we can celebrate, that we can remember, that we can do this dance of life and recognize it may not ever be cleaned up. It may not ever be neat and tidy. But you'll be with us in it. Help us to grow a confident trust in you that weathers the storm without denying that it's there. We love you, and we trust you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.